to Deuteronomy chapter 28. We started a series last week, and you know what? Before I get into that, I don't want to forget. In the counting of the Omer, we're in the midst of the counting of the Omer right now, which is the, the 50 days between the Passover and Shavuot. And um, <clears throat> I just want to say this short prayer. Thank you, Lord. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by his commandments and commanded us concerning the counting of the Omer. Today is 37 days. Today is May the 20, May the 16th. I want to make sure I get this right. May the 16th. And today is 37 days of the counting of the Omer, which is five weeks and two days of the Omer. So this is a special time that we um, always during this season, it's a time of expectation. It's a time of looking forward to the Shavuot and the promises of the Lord. And I'm hearing something going on here. This is always so fun when it's just virtual. <laughs> but um, this is a time of expectation before the Shavuot. And I really, I sense in my kishkas, in my spirit, that God is, is doing something special. Where were we on Passover this year? We were all quarantined, locked down. But we are still able to enjoy the Passover. And then we're coming out of that. And I believe that God is releasing, releasing, releasing. And I want to talk today about, we started last week talking about thinking like a Hebrew, thinking biblically. If you don't like the term think like a Hebrew, well, then get over it. But it's basically thinking biblically. We need to have a biblical mindset in these days. And I, I want to talk today about when we begin to understand God in, in the way of the ancients, the patriarchs and, and um, the Abrahams and the Isaacs and the Jacobs and the Josephs and the Davids, through the Hebrew mindset, um, we begin to understand more about what blessing is all about. And we heard today about the different cycles of the year, about the Shabbat and the Jubilee and these various things. And, and a lot of people, especially today in the church, they don't really understand that. We've lost sight of that. And God wants to bring that to our remembrance. It's so important. How many of you want to be blessed? I do. I want to experience more more blessing. And I believe as, as the more we understand and see God and understand his scripture in a biblical Hebrew mindset, the, open, the, the ancient wells will flow freely that the water of the Ruach HaKodesh, Holy Spirit, is going to flow so freely in our lives. So turn to Deuteronomy chapter 28. I'm going to start in verse 1 and read through verse 14. <clears throat> now, if you listen obediently to the voice of Adonai, your God, taking care to do all his mitzvot that I am commanding you today, Adonai, your God, will set you on high above all the nations of the earth. Then all these blessings will come upon you and overtake you. I love that. Not only come upon you, but will actually overtake you. If you listen to the voice of Adonai, your God, blessed will be you in the city and blessed will you be in the field. Blessed will be the fruit of your womb, the fruit of your, the produce of your soil and the offspring of your livestock, the increase of your herds and the younger of your flock. Blessed will be your basket and your kneading bowl. 
Blessing, blessed will be you when you come in, and blessed will, will be you when you go out. Adonai will cause your enemies who rise up against you to be struck down before you. They will come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. Adonai will command the blessing on you in your barns and in every undertaking of your hand, and he will bless you in the land Adonai your God is giving you. Adonai will establish you as a holy people for himself. Just as he swore to you, if you keep the mitzvot of Adonai your God and walk in his ways, then all the peoples of the earth will see that you are called by the name of Adonai, and they will stand in awe of you. Adonai will make you overflow in prosperity, in the fruit of your womb, the offspring of your livestock, and the produce of your soil. On the land, on the land of Adonai swore to your fathers to give you, Adonai will open Open for you his good storehouse, the heavens, to give rain for land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. I don't know if you noticed any pictures from the Galilee recently. The Galilee is the highest it's been. The Sea of Galilee is the highest it's been in decades. Talk about blessing. They've had a lot of rain, but that's a blessing of the Lord. The heavens opening up. You will lend to many nations, but you will not borrow. Adonai will make you the head and not the tail, and you will be only above and not below. If you listen to the mitzvot of Adonai, your God, that I am commanding you today, careful to do them, and do not turn aside from any of the words I am commanding you today to the right or the left to go after other gods in order to serve them. That's good news. Hallelujah. That's blessings. Are we experiencing all those blessings today? Kind of quiet in here. It's not necessarily crickets, but we are. But I really believe God wants us to experience, embrace those blessings. I want to talk today, and this is kind of a simple message, but it's, it's, it's so, I believe it's so important for us. This is how God has called us to live. If you obey his commands then he will bless you. He will, he will fill up your barns and, 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 and do all of those good things for you. So what's happened? Why aren't we experiencing all those today? You know, if you're a history geek, and I, I used to be a history geek and kind of still am, but you might have heard about this in, in the fourth century. First of all, let's go back even to the first century. Let's go Yeshua. And the birth of the, the ecclesia, the church, the early, what was the, some of the characteristics and qualities of the church in the, in the early days? I just, just shout out, what, was, what did the church look like in those, those first 100 years, 200 years? They met in houses? What were some of the characteristics of it? What did it look like? Joyce. They prayed together. There was all kinds of miracles, weren't there? There was growth. They went from, from Jerusalem into the uttermost parts of the world during the first hundred years. There was miracles and, and all kinds of amazing things happening. The fourth century, something happened called the Great Compromise. Anybody familiar with the term the Great Compromise? How about if you've ever heard of Constantine, with the Emperor Constantine? Okay, he's got kind of a bad rap, and for a good reason, throughout history. And um, I'm not going to question his, uh, 
his eternal um, state or anything like that. But I do believe that he absolutely brought in an anti-Semitic mindset into the church and basically changed the church. And this was about in the year 326, 321, something like that in the fourth century. Constantine embraced Christianity. He had a vision, he had a dream, and he embraced Christianity, which was interesting because he became emperor shortly after that. And in Christianity was embraced throughout the whole Roman Empire. And you think, well, that's a great thing. But what happened at that time you look at what the early church was, it was exciting. People were getting saved. There was healings. There was miracles all over. The gospel was being preached all over. They were meeting at homes. They were praying together. This, that was what characterized the early church in those days, the early believers. But now what's happened is that there's a, uh, an institution, and what Constantine did was he brought kind of a marriage between politics, religion, and paganism. You see, the Roman Empire up until then was a pagan empire. They had many, many gods. And so there was this great compromise in embracing Christianity. And basically what it was is, was Constantine promised to bring peace to the Christians, to the believers. But the, the exchange was to bring in paganism into the church and to abandon its Jewish roots, to abandon its biblical roots, roots in a lot of ways. It opened the floodgates of compromise in the body of Messiah. You say, well, you know, how did the paganism come in? You know, if Rome, they had all kinds of gods. They were pantheistic. They had many gods. And Constantine said, no more. We're not going to worship any of those gods. But what happened was they started establishing saints. And so the worship of saints replaced the, re the, the worship of these, these other gods, these other idols. It was a crucial time in the fourth century. Abandoning their biblical Jewish roots. What was lost in the great compromise? Let me talk about some of the things. First of all, a Hebraic attitude or a Hebraic mindset towards God was lost. We talked last week about the barbarian mindset, a Greek mindset, and a Hebrew mindset. They lost that Hebraic attitude towards God. And instead of it being based on the cycles, a cyclical understanding of God, I'm going to talk more about that in a few minutes. It was now... What I mentioned last week, A plus B has to always equal C. A linear versus a cyclical understanding of God. And it's also interesting because they stopped meeting in the homes and the first churches were built. So people started going into the church. And instead of it being basically the priesthood of the believers, a priesthood was established. And everybody else was really just kind of coming in and observing instead of participating in the services that were going on. There was also what was lost was a Hebraic attitude towards the word of God, the scriptures. Now, granted, you know, back in those days, they didn't have the Bible that we have right now, but they had the scrolls. And there was a great, when, when the people would come together in the early days of the ecclesia, the, 
the the Kehilah, the church, they would open up the scrolls and they would read from the scrolls and they would discuss in Midrash over the scrolls and everybody was participating in that. And now only the priests were able to do that. And they lost kind of a prophetic view of history. What do I mean by a prophetic view of history? God, seeing God in the scripture, in the word of God, when it started, where it's headed, and what the Messiah will do. Also, a, a, a sense of covenant, an understanding of covenant was lost as they lost his Hebraic attitude towards God. Sense of covenant, a loss of a, a Hebraic attitude, approach to life, the importance of the family. You know, if you look at the Jewish family from birth to death, there's, there's points of their life that are always, they, they have these things at the Brit, Brit uh, Milah, when the child is eight days old, and then there's all through their, 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 their life cycles, there's issues, and that was lost during this, this time. A loss of the biblical style of life, cycle of life. The weekly Shabbat was put aside. The monthly, the Rosh Kodesh, the Moedim, the Feast of the Lord, these special times where God would call his people together was put aside. I don't know about you, but I cannot divorce or unhitch myself from the Jewish scriptures. We were never meant to be unhitched from the Jewish scriptures. And that's what happened starting in the fourth century. Compromise came in. The church gained peace but lost its identity and much of her spiritual power. It became an institution. The church and the state became one. The emperor was basically, he represented the church at the time. It entered into what was called the Dark Ages. It's called dark for a reason, I believe, because we were cut off from our Jewish roots, from our Hebrew, from our Hebraic roots. Thank you for the mission. Hello, testing. Are we on? Okay. Oh, that's a lot more. I get a little more volume here. What had happened, I believe, in the fourth century was that the stone was rolled on top of that well. And God is wanting to roll that stone off so that the blessings will flow. I believe this is important for us even today, especially in today when we see the whole world is in a crisis. And, and our response, a right response to the crisis today is part of removing that stone. How will we respond to what God is doing during these days so that the water flows freely, the water of the spirit, the water of faith, the water of blessing, 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 I want to be able to experience is the blessings of Deuteronomy 28. The ecclesia at that time, the church, the kehilah was, was held in bondage to a political religious system. A mindset needs to take, a mindset, change of mindset needs to take place today. You know, and I've even seen that and I've struggled with this even today. You know, I really believe God has been speaking to us about starting our services back up. But then there's a struggle because, you know, our, our government says, not yet, wait till then, do this, and for good reason. And yet, the Lord has put it on our hearts to start this. So there's this battle, this battle that's going on. You know, who do we, 
what do we do? How do we, how do we proceed? How do we do it in a, in a right way without being rebellious? Without being rebellious. Now I'm getting a little bit of feedback. I'm sure it'll be taken care of. So I want to look at blessing. We, we looked at blessing a couple of weeks ago. I want to look at it a little bit farther today. Blessing is being thrust into increase. I don't know about you, but I, I want blessings to follow after me. Do you? Destiny. We want to look at what blessing is biblically so that we can experience blessing. We need to see and, and know God through a Hebraic biblical mindset. And, and get this, please understand, I'm not saying blessing is without conflict. I'm not saying blessing was, is without serious struggle. If you look through the scriptures, you'll see Abraham and, and Joseph and all of these, David, they struggled. They were faced with challenges in receiving the blessing. So what is the blessing? Let's define that. It's the anointing of God to release increase, prosperity, multiplication of all good and pleasant. Let me say that again. It's the anointing of God to release increase, prosperity, multiplication of all good and pleasant. The first mention of blessing, barucha, which is the root, the Hebrew word, is, it, word, is in Genesis chapter 122. Then God blessed them by saying, be fruitful and multiply. Blessing is also about being fruitful and multiplying. And fill the water in the seas, let the flying creatures multiply on the land. Do you know that blessing is mentioned over 500 times in the scriptures? And this was the first mention of it in Genesis chapter 1, Bereshit. 500 times in the scriptures. In Proverbs 10.22, Solomon says, The blessing of Adonai brings wealth, and he adds no trouble with it. His blessing is comprehensive. His provision health, protection, success. That's what blessing looks like. Genesis chapter 24, verse 1. Abraham was old, advanced in years, and Adonai blessed Abraham in everything. And guess what? We're grafted into the blessings of Abraham. What Abraham we received, we're grafted into that. Galatians chapter 3. Verse 13, as the Messiah liberated us from Torah's curse, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that through Messiah Yeshua, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so we might receive the promise of the Ruach through trusting faith. See, the, the curse of Torah was not keeping it, was not keeping the Torah. Deuteronomy 27, verse 26 says, Cursed is the one who does not uphold the words of this Torah by doing them. And Yeshua became that curse on our behalf. That's the great exchange. Because as hard as you try, you cannot keep every commandment. It's impossible. The legalist will try, and that's where the curse comes in. When the legalist tries to keep it all... Now, I'm not saying... God, Yeshua comes, and so I don't have to obey. That's not about it at all. That's not about it. That's not it at all. 
Yeshua had to become the curse so that the Gentiles can receive the same blessing as Abraham. Let's look at some examples to the scriptures of blessing. Joseph was a blessed man. You look at his life and go, really? <laughs> he went through a lot of things. And like I said, being blessed doesn't necessarily equate to having no struggles. But where did he learn blessing? He understood so much about blessing. He learned about it, what I call the classrooms of his life, the classrooms. The first classroom that Joseph was in was the pit, slavery. He was thrown into a pit by his brothers, jealousy, betrayal. But any time something happens to us, there is a purpose that God wants to teach us. What is God teaching us? What do you think God was teaching Joseph in the classroom of the pit and being sold as a slave to the Midianites and brought to Egypt? What do you think he was being taught during that pit? I believe he was being taught forgiveness. We see that work out in his life. He understood forgiveness. Let me ask you a question, and I do want some responses from you guys here. Where do you think Joseph, I mean, he didn't have a Bible like this right here. He didn't have the words like we have it so prevalent. Where did he learn about God's faithfulness, God's character? His father? His father, his grandfather, who learned it from his great-grandfather? We're talking about the patriarchs. See, I think Joseph learned it this way, and this is, this is what I mean by a Hebraic mindset, is that his father, Jacob, and we know that Joseph was Jacob's favorite. He would probably go out into the fields with him. Hey, Joseph, see all those stars up there? God made a promise about that to us, to me and to you. So there was so much that I believe that is, and this is part of that Hebraic mindset where the father teaches the son generation to generation to generation. You see, Joseph, I'm pretty sure, didn't go to seminary. He didn't go to Bible college. He learned it from his father. Do you think he learned from his father some things? Jacob said, you know what? I did it this way. And man, I learned I shouldn't have done it that way. Do you think there was a lot to learn from Jacob's life that Joseph picked up? Absolutely. You think there was issues in regards to forgiveness that Joseph learned from Jacob? Now, it's not written in the scriptures, but you can assume because that was the cycle of life. That was how, that's that Hebraic mindset. He learned it from his father. No scripture at the time was passed down from father, from the grandfather, from the great-grandfather. He also went to another classroom after he was released from that pit. And he's in Potiphar's house. The next classroom we call false accusation. Anybody ever been falsely accused of something? What, what do you desire to do when you're falsely accused? You want to just defend yourself. No, that ain't true because I did this, 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 and this. False accusation. He was lied about, slandered about. You know, lashon hara, that's that term where evil speech, where we speak evil against 
somebody else. What do you think he's learning about blessing during the time when he's being accused by Potiphar's wife of trying to have sex with her? What do you think he's learning about false accusations? What do you think we need to learn during times when we're falsely accused? We learn to trust in the midst of injustice. Where do you think Joseph learned that? Again, he learned it from watching his father, his grandfather. Learn to trust in times of injustice. So he ends up in another classroom. This is the third classroom he's in. We'll just call that prison. What do you think he's learning in this classroom called prison? You see, I'm using these as classrooms because a lot of us, a lot of us see terrible tribulation times. And yet God is always wanting to teach us something from these experiences. I believe that he was teaching Joseph about, hey, you know what it's like to be forgotten? You know what it's like to be abandoned? How to deal with being forgotten. Anybody ever feel abandoned or forgotten by God? You know, remember the last thing, you know, the, the cupbearer was, you know, hey, cupbearer, when you get out, remember to tell Pharaoh about me. And then two years later, the cupbearer remembers, oh, oh, by the way, Pharaoh, there's a man that he does interpret dreams. You know what? Think about the gifting that David had about interpreting dreams. How'd that work out for him? Ended up in prison. But God used that. But why? This is what I want to get to. And this is where the blessing comes in. Why did he have to learn all of those things? Because God wanted to use Joseph to rescue his family, his people, and Egypt from the famine that was coming up. He had to build these things into us so that, in other words, the blessing could be released. You see, that's the importance of blessing is I love to get blessed, but it's not just about me. It's about other people being blessed through me. And that was the situation with Joseph. You see, when we fail to tap into blessing, and I believe that that's a lot of what we, why we don't experience a lot of blessing today is because we don't tap into that. And when we fail to tap into that blessing and fail to see those classrooms that God is allowing us to walk through, many times we're hindering his work here on planet Earth. Blessing is a testimony to the world. We read that in Deuteronomy chapter 28. When the children of Israel are going to be blessed, when the people are blessed in the land, everybody else is going to go, wow, look at the blessing that's upon them. We see that in Psalm 67, verse 6. Let the people's promise, let the people's praise you. Oh God, let all the people's praise you. The earth has yielded its harvest. God, our God, will bless us. God will bless us, and all the ends of the earth will fear him. You see, when the nations, when the Gentiles, when the Goyim see the blessings on the people of God, they'll go, I want that. And in they, when they do that, they will fear God and turn from a world system when they see the blessing upon us. But there are conditions to blessing. There are conditions. It's kind of an if and then, if and then. If my people, then I will bless. 
To know his purposes and times is where we need to meditate on God's word. This is why it is so important. We talked about this last week is, is to meditate on his word, which means to, to ponder on, to think about, to saturate in his word so that we know what he's asking us to do. We know what his word is saying for us to do. Psalm 1, verses 2 and 3, it says, But his delight is in the Torah of Adonai, and on his Torah he meditates day and night. He will be like a planted tree over streams of water, producing its fruits during its season. Its leaf never droops, but in all he does, he succeeds. I think a key is really meditating on the word. That's why I love when David comes up here and he shares from his heart the scriptures, the Torah readings. It's something he's meditated on. It's become part of him. And, and the word needs to become part of us so that we know what God's purposes are. So that we also know not just his purposes, but his timing. Sometimes his timing is as important as what he wants to do, too. And I know when I, when I see, when I know God's purposes, it keeps me from walking in presumption. Sometimes faith and presumption get a little bit confusing. Presumption is me thinking this is something to do without even, you know, in, 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 you know, starting our services back up. Did I get a thus saith the Lord? Not really, but I did have a strong sense from the Lord that it was time. I did have a strong sense from the Lord that it was time. It wasn't presumption. Another example is the people of Israel themselves, the Jewish people. They're called the people of the book. It's interesting. They're called the chosen people, but they're also called the people of the book. They're a blessed people because they think a certain way. Matter of fact, Peter Wagner says they think like God, even in their unbelief, which is interesting. They learn Hebrew by the time they're three. So they understand the scriptures from a Hebrew perspective, and that's so important. They start studying the scriptures. They, they learn Hebrew by three. They start studying the scriptures by the time they're six. And by the time they're 13, they've already memorized large portions of the Bible. They're called to be I, what I consider to be custodians of the Torah and the scriptures. God called the people of Israel, the Jewish people, to maintain the word of God so that we can experience it and embrace it. 3,500 years, that's been their job, is to take that word and to bring it through to us today. Just look at the, and this is just some statistics I want to throw out, you know, statistics. And American Jews represent about 2% of the population today. That's just a rough estimate, about 2%. 20% of the professors at university are Jewish. 25% of all Nobel Prize winners are Jewish. One-third of millionaires are Jewish. <laughs> Did you know that? One-third of all the millionaires are Jewish. 40% of the partners in leading law firms are Jewish. Even in their unbelief, they meet his conditions and experience blessings. Lord, open their eyes to see you as their Messiah. Lord, that they would even have more blessing, more blessing, more blessing. Amen. And I'll take that millions. Let's pray. 
just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> if I was a rich man. But they study the word. It's in their heart. I know that there's a partial blinding that's come on, blindness that's come, come on the Jewish people, but imagine when that blindness is removed and they come into that full understanding of Yeshua the Messiah. It's like life from the dead, amen? So let me just wrap things up here as I bring this to a conclusion. Worship team, come on up. I want to be talking about this more over the next weeks, this cycle of blessing. A cycle of blessing. You know, we think you do this and you do this. That produces this. It's always this way. Except when we think that way, God is removed from the, the equation in a lot of times. Because sometimes God says, you know what? I'm going to take you from A to Z. And you're not even going it's, to. It's, and, and we tend to look at our past experiences in determining what to do next. And there's nothing wrong with that common sense experience. But we always have to go to the Lord because the Lord may call us to do something different than he did, than we did the last time. Let me give you an example. It's just, this is, it just, just came to me. Several years ago, we were leading an outreach into the Middle East. And... Um, there was about 90, no, there was, no, this is the one to um, Cyprus and Egypt. There was probably about 30 of us on that team. And um, there was two, two of our, um, one staff person and, a, and a, one of our students, they were, um, they developed a special relationship. And, and they let us know beforehand, and they did it all right and everything like that. And we took, um, we took them uh, to uh, one of them, the staff person, went with us to Egypt. And we spent a couple of weeks in Egypt. And, um, <clears throat> and then he felt from the Lord to stay in Egypt for the next couple of months. And we prayed about it, felt it was right. He stayed in Egypt. We go back to where the rest of the group was in Cyprus. And his, um, his girlfriend said, where's Paul? And Paul's in Egypt. And she said, oh, okay. And then she went away and she prayed and she came back to us. And I felt like the Lord's called me to go to Egypt with Paul. Well, that's a no-brainer for Stu and Millie. No, we don't think that's the Lord at all. That's called a special relationship, right? But we just, we've been learning some things about God. And, and, and then he put it on our hearts, you know what? We need to pray over this situation. And so we went to prayer and the Lord said, this is of him. Oh, boy. So we let Nora, we sent her to Egypt. But, you know, we made sure that there, there was, you know, proper, you know, authority there. And, and they ended up, they came back after the month that they were in Egypt. And they came back, they were engaged. And this has been, what, 30-plus years now? And they're married, children. And, but but I could have I said, no, that is not what you're to do. Because past experiences, you don't do that. You don't let them go, but we let them in. That was of God. So that's what I mean. God will intervene in our thought processes many times. I don't know where I was going with that, but that's, that was a fun story anyways. But I want to be talking about over the next few weeks is, is this cycle of blessing to bring us into a higher level of effectiveness and wisdom in our understanding. To unroll the stone that's been over us, been over the body of Messiah for so many years. 
You see, there is a, there is a, a concept, a biblical concept called sowing and reaping in the scriptures. Galatians chapter 6. And there's a lot of scriptures dealing with sowing and reaping, but I just want to read these. Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 7. It says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he also shall reap. For the one who sows in the flesh will reap corruption from the flesh. But the one who sows in the Ruach, the Spirit, will reap from the Ruach eternal life. So let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we don't give up. In due time we will reap if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have an opportunity, let us do good towards all. especially those who belong to the household of faith. Sowing and reaping. Sowing is you dig up and you plant and you plow. You plow the ground, you dig it up and you, and you plant. And then there's a tending process. And tending is when you, you deal with the weeds that come up. You fertilize, you water. That's the hard work there. That's the tending but then it comes a harvest, and that's where at the right time, at the right time, you pick the fruits. And then the increase, and God brings this blessing, the increase. And then there's a cycle where we start over again. We start over again. And it's interesting because as Patricia was reading today, there was the cycle of the Shabbat of the land. For six years, to, you're to plant, and you're to sow, and you're to tend, and you're to harvest, and increase. And on the seventh year, well, actually, in the sixth year, there's going to be an abundance of produce. So that on the seventh, eighth, and seventh and eighth years, you don't have to. You live off the produce. This is where trust comes in. This is where God's increase comes in. You do what you're commanded to do, and then God brings the increase. And this is where always the children of Israel seem to fail, is this Shabbat of the land. And that was why they were exiled, because they couldn't keep that. It makes no sense not to harvest this year. No, not to harvest. It's like God calling us to observe the Shabbat, right? God wants us to observe the Shabbat. Don't do your regular work on the Shabbat. But, but what if I, I got to do this? What if I got to do that? Can we trust God to provide the increase? He wants us to enjoy. He wants us to rest in him. It's the same, it's the same process. We could even sow in times of crisis, like today. I'm glad that Julie was able to share about blessing the families in, in Bethlehem. I've been to Bethlehem, and it is one of the poorest places in the world right now. And there are Christians there who are being persecuted. And we had an opportunity also to bless and, and help the, the, the orphanage in Kenya. Matter of fact, this is what I'm talking about, sowing even in times of crisis and even in times of, of, of things that are like going on today. So I've got some pictures here I want to show of um, those who, who blessed and, and gave into helping out the orphanage in um, Kenya, food, they were able to buy food, a lot of food. It's a picture of them eating. Look at how much food they were able to buy.
we are part of that. That's called sowing and reaping. That's called blessing, even in times of hard times. And also, there's pictures of, um, they got beds. Did we get the pictures of the beds there, too? This is all the kids that we've been praying. And go back to that. Go back, go back to that slide. Go back to that picture. Guess who made those? Is Mary sent those. Sent the, Mary sent the directions on how to make mats, and then they made them. So Mary was trying to actually send them, but couldn't, but sent the directions on how to make them. And this is what they came up with. You see how that's so African, too, the colors and the brightness. Isn't that awesome? There's their mattresses. This is because little congregation Orchaim was able to sow into a need there during this time. All right. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. But just as a, another example, you know, I was looking at the Jericho. The children of Israel are finally coming into the promised land. and Now they come into their first fortified city, Jericho. God gives them a specific strategy, very, very specific strategy. You're to march in obedience for six days. And it's interesting, for those six days, they march around once during the day. And they said that they, the priests and the, and the shofar blowers, they're to hold their shofars. It doesn't say that they're blowing them, but it's they're holding their, they're carrying their shofars for six days. Now, in my mindset, it's like, what is this doing? We've got to take this city. How is me marching around this city going to do it? It's not about me trying to understand it. God said, do it this way. And so for six days, they continued by faith. They did what was commanded. It didn't make sense. And then on the seventh day, and this is where God's timing comes in. They stayed in God's timing through those six days. And on the seventh day, seven times around the city, and then the blowing of the shofar the walls come down, advanced, and shouted, and guess what? God brought the victory. That's a picture of sowing and reaping. God speaks to us. We go, okay, uh, just, Lord, I'm going to tend into that. I'm going to tend into that, and I'm going to do what you've asked me to do, walk by faith, and then God brings the victory. God brings the victory, and that's where the blessing comes. So starting next week, we're going to be looking at the cycles. We're going to be looking at the Shabbat. And I know a lot of you, you've been in the congregation a long time. But for some of us, this is new. We're going to be learning about the Shabbat and the months of first fruits, Rosh Kodesh, the importance of those. And you know what? I've overlooked those over the years, Rosh Kodesh. And yet God commands us to keep the Rosh Kodesh, the new moon. That's what that is. And then the feasts and the appointed times, they're so important for us. Just stand with me. As we look into the calendar, as we look at the tribes of Israel to understand and we want to, to change how we see the scriptures, that's why it's so important for us to not to be unhitched 
as some teachers would say, from the Jewish scriptures. No, God builds upon the Jewish scriptures. That's why we read the Torah every day, every, every Shabbat, is so that we could see God's faithfulness in that. We can apply it to today. We want to discover the relevance and the significance for it today. And it's not just about being Jewish. That's not what I mean about being having a, a, a Hebrew mindset. But it's about thinking like God thinks. And that releases blessing. How many of us need more blessing in our life? How many of us need blessing in our lives? This is how we walk into that. And I believe that as we learn more about this and we begin to practice these things, we're going to experience the blessings of Adonai, the blessings of Abraham that we've been grafted into. Amen? Amen. Father, we just thank you for this season. Lord, this is a season of new beginnings. This is a new season that we're in. Lord, you've brought us into a new wineskin. Look around. Everything's different. It's different now than it was even two months ago. Father, you were not caught by surprise by anything that's happened. So, Lord, we, we just submit ourselves to you. And, and, Father, we just commit our minds to you, Lord, that you would renew our thinking. Lord, we bless you and we thank you for what you're going to be doing in us, Lord God. Lord, give us ears to hear what you're saying. Give us eyes to see what you're doing, Lord God, and the faith to believe and to stand in what you've called us to do. Amen, amen, amen.